Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. We, of course, wait to talk about the 50 days of Easter until many of the children have left the sanctuary because if I were a kid and I knew this, I'd be like, where's the egg hunt today? <laughs> right? We should have one for multiple Sunday, since we are now officially in the Easter season. So our Easter story continues this morning. The message at the grave was, go to Galilee, and there you will see the risen one. There Jesus will meet you. No specifics, just the region. We put a little picture of that on the bulletin for you this morning to see. And from a reader's perspective, it seemed like an unusually vague instruction, but... They found each other. It turns out the meeting spot was on a mountain and that they had been directed by Jesus to go there. We have no idea which mountain. And mountains show up a lot in Scripture. And topography really does matter. You know, the mountain was thought to be a place where people were closer to God. So there they were on top of a mountain, Jesus and the eleven, Sort of like our class of 11 just now. I wonder if there were little ones jumping up and down the steps. But let's listen in on a portion of the conversation as it's recorded by the community we've come to know as Matthew. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Vicki. I don't know what <clears throat> your evening routines are, if you watch the news or if you watch TV, but every once in a while, Beth and I will turn on the Rachel Maddow show. And if you've ever seen that show, particularly in the past couple months, she seems to start every single show with, wow, there's lots to cover this evening, big news day, I'm going to try and get you through it. And that's sort of how this scripture feels to me. It's only five verses, but it's got some really big-ticket items in it. Um, But I'm going to try and resist the temptation to cover all that is in these five verses. And even as I do that, I, I must acknowledge that much harm has occurred through the literal translation and enactment of these verses. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Bishop John Shelby Spong wrote something about this passage this week, or I think he wrote it last week. He said, 
you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This was never meant to be a charge to convert those not belonging to a certain religion. It might have been at the time, but it isn't now. It might have been intended to do that, but it is not the intention that we can read into this text. Bishop Spong says, rather, it was and is a call to see everyone as living inside the love of God. Imagine how different the world would be if each person was seen and received as living inside the love of God. Imagine how different this country would be if the founders saw the indigenous tribes as living inside the love of God. It's not easy to do, but consider the harm that has occurred with the mandate that has been interpreted by this verse. Imagine how different the world would be if multiple faith traditions and world religions were welcomed and valued. We must get past the arrogance of being the best or the biggest or the true religion and be about the common essence of the teachings of all world religions, which are love and non-harming or non-violence. You know, I used to answer questions about some of these difficult passages by saying, you know, this is what we are to do as Christians, or these are scriptures for Christians. They're not necessarily scriptures for everybody. So when we take a closer look at the language, people who study this and know this, people that I rely on for information to share with you in moments like this, they say that the word go is actually not an imperative. More accurately, it's as you go or as you continue on the journey. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? The point was not simply to grow in numbers. If we wanted to just grow in numbers, we would have a more expensive happy hour. (laughs) And we would do it more often. And we would give away prizes. That's That's not the goal. And sometimes people have a hard time hearing that because, you know, membership is part of my position description. I say, well, my goal is never to grow in numbers. I want us to grow in faithfulness and to grow in our awareness of the Spirit and to grow in our responsiveness to the Spirit. If people want to be a part of that, they are welcome. And it is a joy to welcome new people, isn't it? It is, especially with that perspective. They're not just here for the free food. Well, no. No. no, there's some pretty good stuff on the table today. The reason we do even consider sharing the news, which we must share the news, is because I think the world needs to hear it. Now, let me be clear. We, myself included, are lifelong students in practicing faith. And it's helpful to remember that participating in a church community is always optional and not to be forced. When folks asked about this community, I listened for the spirit. 
I listen to what is drawing people here. It's the message they're hearing that draws them here. The welcome is important because the welcome is a reinforcement of the message. As a student of church and community life, I have noticed that baptism is not the point of entry into the community and either is church membership. The teachings and engagement of the teachings are the beginning, the middle, and the end of discipleship. Now hear me, please. Baptism is a beautiful ritual. It's a beautiful sacrament that celebrates a commitment to live the teachings in community and includes a very special blessing of water and word and spirit. It can occur at any point along the way as people and families are invited and feel drawn. Baptism in Scripture, in the New Testament Scripture, was an adult initiation. We baptize all ages as families and people feel called. Church membership is also a beautiful and meaningful moment of commitment as we have experienced this morning. There is always an invitation, but there is not a requirement. Many of the people who stood up here this morning, you have seen for a few years. Some just for a few weeks. I love that that's the reality. And I sense as one of your leaders that at each moment when these decisions are made, be it baptism or membership, it's a movement of the spirit and something to be celebrated. That's why it's never pushed, never imposed, but always celebrated if and when that moment comes. The more restrictive teachings around baptism and sharing the news of Jesus has resulted in a genuine reluctance. Maybe you have felt that yourself, a genuine reluctance to say anything about faith. You know, you water it down so much that you're like, oh, I just go and hang out with friends on Sunday morning. You know, I did that myself once. I actually said to a group of people, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. <laughs> what? <laughs> Talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> so I'm guessing you've done it too? Unbelievable. It's time to shift away from reluctance to willingness and to find a way to talk about your church experience, this community experience, and how it is a part of your life. And what's interesting is that this scripture asks us to be teachers. Those 11 who went out and told everybody, We're asked to be teachers. In other words, live and breathe and be these teachings. There are a lot of teachers in this congregation, and I'm aware of that. I've taught everything from swimming to systematic theology. Not always well, but I tried. And what I learned was that the art of teaching is not to fill someone with information and demand obedience. 
But a best-case scenario and the best teachers that I have had evoke what's already at work within a person. And you do that through curiosity, right? Through moral underpinnings. We do come to school with moral underpinnings, whether we can articulate them or not. So you take what is before you, and then you introduce opportunities to try out new experiences and new perspectives. And along the way, you learn the ABCs and the one, two, threes. And that gets more and more complicated as the years go on. But those are the basics. And the hard part for many is talking about the church community where you learned these teachings and where you're encouraged to continue learning and living the teachings of Jesus. We'll get into the Trinity another day. But suffice it to say that I use whichever part of the Trinitarian language I think will be most helpful for someone to hear. There was a time when I used the term Great Spirit a lot. And it resonated with people. So that ability to be fluent in different theological languages is helpful. I can honestly say that Jesus was very patient until I got to a point of addressing him by name. Same thing with what we might call the Holy Spirit or the Spirit or God. But when we are engaged in these conversations, and it does come up, you've heard this line, tell me about the God you don't believe in. If you begin talking about a church community and you're feeling resistance about that, and people say, oh, I don't believe in God. Well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. That's a way to take a next step in the conversation. And then maybe tell me what you do believe. And maybe from your perspective, it could be something like, I love my church, or I love my church community because. Here's why. Or the community or church I'm a part of, fill in the blank, did a really cool thing with Micah Holmes, or went to Puerto Rico to help with hurricane relief. What's really important is a non-competitive spirit. This is not a competition. Amelia and I take great care and intention to not call out other faith communities or other people or put down communities to lift ourselves up. Unwilling to do that. And I know for some, you wish we would go a little further. And for others, you're like, please don't go any further. You've gone far enough. But that commitment is going to be in place regardless of the feedback. Because we have to be true to our discernment of how love is shared and how these teachings are enacted through our words. Now, all of this is unintentionally, but now I I sense time to just mention something that was sent to you in email 
this week if you're on our email list and if you read those emails, um, you know that we put up a sign last week that talked about our Good Friday service and our Easter service. And the very top said, Sanctuary Open. Big, bold letters, all capitals. We got some phone calls in the office. There was great distress that someone felt in reading that sign or in reading the very first word of that sign. And the person was insistent that the sign come down. Now, I want you to hold off on any judgments or quick reactions, even though we all responded to it quickly, but that's a valid response. Now set it aside and stay with me here. The next day, the phone calls came again, and it was crystal clear. It wasn't clear the first time. It was crystal clear that the word sanctuary was a trigger. And so as I sat in prayer for a few moments, I realized that the non-harm solution, because we had a meeting of a Jewish group in our space that was holding a Seder, we had a Spanish-speaking church that was going to be meeting in our church that night, and we had our Good Friday celebration. So the non-harming solution was to just fold down the sign so that all it said was, Good Friday and Easter Sunday with a few descriptors. There was no opportunity for dialogue or conversation. It was all one-sided. My heart was concerned for the others who would be meeting in our space. My heart was also concerned for the person who made the phone calls. Because there is plenty of teaching and news that supports the fear behind a call like that. I wish I could go around and turn off TVs that provoke or evoke fear, but we can't do that. So I hope that your heart can open a smidge to understand that this is something that is well-funded. and widely available, this teaching. And the discernment between different teachings um, might not be taking place. So this is not the time or the place to say this, but I will tell you that having grown up in a family that had uh, actions and things taking place that were very contrary to the gospel, it all seemed normal to me until I learned that it wasn't. So keep that in mind also as you consider this. But more importantly, how can we add the teachings of this community to the messages that are so prevalent? How can we further fund the messages that we articulate and live out through this church community? How can we stretch beyond the limits of our own fear, our own anxiety, our own prejudice, suspicion, 
and even ideas. We can practice this one conversation at a time and one act of service at a time. You know, I I always forget who says this, but they say preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Folded down the sign. It's all we had to do this time. It's worth pointing out that this second encounter with the risen Jesus, again, did not have a plan for retaliation. It did not speak ill of any of the people that led to his crucifixion. It just said, go on with the teachings. Remember the teachings. Remember the heart of the teachings. And this, in fact, you know, it is kind of, it's absurd to tell 11 people to go and share this news. Go make disciples of all nations. It's a big task. <laughs> it's not to be done alone. But the absurdity of it I would hope would lead would lead those 11 to rely on each other and others and most importantly God. It's not our idea. It's not our mission. It's God's dream. And may we please be part of it. You know, this isn't the first time this scripture lesson isn't the first time that God spoke about nations. That Jesus, rather, sorry, that Jesus spoke about nations in the Gospel of Matthew. It was just three chapters earlier that there was a segment in it on the judgment of the nations. In the end, this is what's going to matter. And guess what? It doesn't have anything to do with a theological argument or the sharing of beliefs, with words anyway. Let's listen to what matters most when it comes to the judgment of the nations. Matthew 25. doesn't say anything about if the people are baptized or if they're church members. doesn't say whether they're Jews or Gentiles. doesn't say whether they're working or not. It says this. So in the end, it's going to be this really cool, this image is really cool. It's, you know, Jesus coming and all these angels are with him. He's going to sit on a throne, which I really can't imagine. But it makes for a good story, a good ending, that the kingdom has finally come, right? So you use the image of the day. And all the nations will be gathered before him. Don't think about what we think about nations. Just think about all the people of all the lands, people that are foreign to your tribe. And they're going to separate people one from another like shepherds separate sheep from goats. Sheep go on one side, goats go on the other. Then this king of God's kingdom will say to those at his right, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're like, what? When did we do that? When did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me, every single person we meet. It matters. What was it that he said? Living inside the love of God. The resurrection asks us to stretch our hearts open wide to see each person, even the ones who might scare us with a threatening phone call. In Christ, go forth in the love of God. Go forth with hope and joy. Go forth to be a voice of forgiving love because when you go wherever you go our God is before you to light your way behind you to encourage you above you to watch over you beside you to befriend you and within you to bring you peace may that peace be on you now and let us say together Amen